Namaste and in la catch and welcome to this episode of One World in a New World. I'm your host Zen Benefiel and I do want to mention that Namaste and in la catch come from two what we might call ancient languages. Uh, Brahmi is the spoken Sanskrit for Namaste and in la catch is Mayan. Namaste simply means the divine in me recognizes the divine in you, and in la catch means I am another you. So these are ancient things that have been around for a while. If we could only reframe our mindset, especially now, think of the benefits that that will bring to our everyday living, our personal and professional lives, and our relationships. So this week, we're going to be talking with an old friend, uh, Dr. Dennis Rea. Uh, Reina, who I met years ago in what was then the uh, American Society for Training and Development Leadership Conference in Crystal City, uh, Maryland. So um, this is kind of a, a, a rekindling of our relationship, and I'm really happy to have you here, Dennis. Well, thank you so much, Zen. You know, it's uh, very special to spend both this time with you, and hopefully our listening audience will gain some value, both from each of our conversations today. I'm sure they will. Now you're, um, I'm, I'm just gonna go into your LinkedIn profile for just a minute, cause it was low hanging fruit. Um, so you're about culture change and business results through trust building with leaders, teams and organizations worldwide. And I have to say, you do have a global perspective in the work you've done, the companies you've worked with, um, the success that you've had with them in trust building, which is critical for today, because um, you can't really do anything if you don't have trust, right? It's foundational. It is. Now, speaking of foundational, let's go back a little bit. So let's, let's step in the Wayback Machine, all right? And uh, hopefully Peabody won't get lost. When you first began this path that, that you're on, what were the things that uh, that triggered you internally to go this direction and how did your outer world kind of reflect yeah you're on target well you know it's interesting that you uh you mentioned that it actually all started about 48 years ago on the walls of yosemite national park I, I, well, I, I was um, actually after graduating from the University of Maryland in College Park, I uh, was traveling around the states and Canada and I was, on, uh, I was in San Francisco on my way to Big Sur because, you know, this is, we're talking 1972 and yeah. I had here down the middle of my back, etc. And uh, I talked to one person, he said, well, you ought to really check out Yosemite. Uh, it's a really cool place. So I said, okay. So I picked up and, and how would I would travel from place to place, state to state, you know, country to country was I was picking up hitchhikers and, you know, and they said, well, what do you got? I said, well, I got, you know, the guy, one guy would say, oh, I got $13.57 in my pocket. He said, good, that'll buy a tank of gas back then. Right, and, right, right. We'll get from point A to point B, et cetera. And um, he said, well, you want to really check out Yosemite. So I uh, picked up another uh, hitchhiker. He was from, uh, he was actually a med student from NYU. Uh, we went into the park. He got sick. I turned, I got him a ride back out of the park. I went down into the valley and uh, my van breaks down. So here after traveling, you know, 3,286 miles around the States and Canada, and I pull in, my van breaks down. So I said, okay, I'm going to have to get a job yeah. because I didn't have the $876 for a new transmission that that's what it was going to cost me to continue with, you know, my old VW microbus at the time. And so Monday morning, I, I went to the, back then they called them personnel offices and, uh, the HR was, you know, it wasn't into existence just yet, you know, and they said, what do you got? And I said, well, I got a bachelor's degree from in marketing from the University of Maryland. They looked at me, they said, so what, what else you got? So I had to dig deep. And yeah, what's your practical skill level, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. What's your practical, and more importantly, you know, uh, what do you got else, you know? And so I said, well, 
I was two merit badges away from Eagle Scout before the troop folded and said, good, you're hired. Report to the Mountaineering Center. And so I did. And I got into climbing, as in rock climbing. Mm -hmm. um, and did that for about 10 years myself. Yes, exactly. And we, you know, when you're climbing the walls of Yosemite National Park or any place, but particularly when you've got your, uh, your, uh, uh, you know, your colleague on belay, you realize that you've got his life in your hands and guess what? Vice versa. Right. He's got your life in his hands. And so that was really the first time that I was really fully understanding the importance of trust because I, and through that, and I ended up within six months, I was actually running the Mountaineering Center in Yosemite National Park. And for four years, I led climbing, you know, I took people out climbing. And then in the wintertime, I led cross-country ski, um, you know, treks. And I really what a job to have. I mean, uh, out in nature with people, uh, the, the beauty of it and the ability to pay for your transmission bill. Right? <laughs> it, um, it was an interesting way to get introduced to. To cap. climbing, yes. Right, and to climbing, too. I mean, uh, El Capitan is one of those, you know, world-class climbs that everybody knows about. Yes, exactly. And, and that's where uh, you have to get uh, be the top of your game. Absolutely. And, and it took your life depends on it. Totally, literally. totally, totally. And it took me years to get, you know, to that level. I actually, though, had a near death accident during that time frame. And that's what really taught me about trust of self. Um, and I, uh, it was so severe that I almost bled to death and I actually ended up having to, uh, uh, work my way to the road to find somebody to take me to the clinic, et cetera, et cetera. And I crawled on my elbows. Um, that's how bad things were at that point. But the point is, is that I really learned about trust at a visceral level. Right. And right. I... Having an NDE myself, I, I understand what you're talking about. Maybe others don't, but there's a, a really deep level of, it's a combination of letting go and complete trust. Total surrender. Yeah. That's what it was. Total surrender. And, and over the next year, because I, uh, I had complications, et cetera, with, with, with the nature of this accident, that um, I had to trust in myself and, of course, in the medical profession that was, was, was helping me. But it was a long journey back. But it was through that journey. Now, we're talking now 1975. Mm -hmm. I was in California. And I was learning holistic health from, and, and actually my first master's was in holistic health education. But I was learning from some of the uh, early pioneers, you know, Dr. Kenneth Pelletier. And, mm -hmm. and I was with Mike Spino at Esalon back, um, you know, there and learning from these masters about how I could not only uh, my own healing, because it was, you know, necessity becomes the mother of invention here. Absolutely. But it was also, I was learning about a profession that I would carry me through my, the rest of the 70s and more importantly, the 80s and so forth and into the 90s. Let me ask you a question about the, the holistic health aspect of it. Um, you know, back then we just began to look at alternative health and, and uh, practices and, th and things of that nature. What did you find about the combination of body, mind, and spirit that that holistic environment allowed you to explore and share? Sure. Well, what I noticed, see, I was studying both Eastern and Western anatomy and physiology, okay, in my studies. 
and um, and eventually got my, as I mentioned, my my first master's mm-hmm. in holistic health. And it was first and foremost, it was part of my own healing process. Sure, because you had to understand your own energy systems in order to actually activate and, and be part of their operation because it was a conscious thing that you know once we study these things and and learn more about the inner workings you know i've always referred to our body as being an instrument we just don't know how to tune it let alone play it well exactly and and i continue to tune it okay Mm -hmm. um but but i'll get to that in a moment you know i back then it was really understanding and learning about uh you know eastern and western uh you know, anatomy, physiology, nutrition, shiatsu. I also got into massage, et cetera. In fact, back in the um, early 70s, I was the first individual to bring massage therapy to the ski areas in Vermont. Oh, by the way, how did I get from Yosemite National Park to Vermont? Yeah, there's a little bit of a gap there. Yeah, a little bit of a gap. That's all right. I was running the Mountaineering Center and... uh, uh, working with also um, another colleague of mine, Ned Gillette, who who has passed. But um, we were at a ski show in Las Vegas and uh, we ran into Johannes von Trapp of the Trapp Family Lodge. The sound music, he was the little boy in the movie. Anyway, mm-hmm. he invited us back to Stowe, Vermont to uh, run the ski touring center there. And so I ran this, the ski shop there and Ned ran the ski school. And from 76 to 80, that's what I did. And I used to, um, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, take Maria Von Trapp, as in the Sound of Music lady, mm-hmm. skiing. Um, and, and she was a hoot uh, back then. Uh, you know, we'd be, we'd be out there skiing then and she'd... Uh, I'd say to uh, Maria, how was your week this week? And she said, ah, Denise. Uh, she, she called me affectionately, Denicio. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just, that's my Italian name. Anyway, she goes, Denicio, uh, how, how was your, and, and of course, you know, she'd come from, with a, a heavy Austrian sure. accent. And how was your week? And she would say, uh, well, you know, on, on, uh, Tuesday, I had lunch with Senator so-and-so, and Wednesday, I had dinner with, you know, General so-and-so, probably, you know, Franco, whatever, you know, anyway, and and Wednesday, anyway, you know, she would sit, and I said, ah, oh, wow, that's amazing, uh, Maria, you know, it sounds like my week, and she looks at me inquisitively, and she goes, uh, Really? And I said, he said, I said, yeah, yeah. On uh, on Monday, I uh, took out the garbage. On Tuesday, I did the laundry. On Wednesday, anyway, she laughed and you know, she <laughs> and stuff like that. But um, no, I any metaphors there are there. Yeah, um, right, exactly. You know, and it's and it's interesting with many of those who have positions like hers, where they're sought after just to have time with. And the conversations that evolve from those, I mean, the, the, so these are artisans, right? That come in and um, their ability to ask the deeper questions and the critical questions are far superior than those who are expected only to talk in certain linear ways, right? And we were talking about, you know, the jump from Colorado or, or uh, California to Vermont, you know, it's kind of a non-linear, non-local thing in conversations or life. Yeah, because I had never been to Vermont, right? I didn't have any frame of reference at all. So how did she, or or how did your conversations with her, did did you ever touch on those deeper aspects of life and connection and and, um, how she saw those things? You know, um, to a degree, to a degree. Uh, and of course, as you know, she wrote about that. And, and of course, you know, her spiritual practice, et cetera, mm-hmm. was very deep. Um, and, um, and she would share now and then, um, don't forget, well, I shouldn't say don't forget. Um, let me let you know that we're talking, she was like 76 to 80 while we we're skiing. So sure. she was focused 
a lot on, you know. The ski. Just ski, exactly. <laughs> and again, you know, she wasn't grease lightning by any means, you know. I mean, there was right. one, you know, step in, in front of the other and, and so forth. Um, but occasionally she would share with me, et cetera, um, you know, what she thought about this and that. It, but it was, it was, you know, it was a friendly um, interaction. And I remember um, when she passed, uh, she was 87 at the time, and how the family, um, when I went to the memorial service, how the family said, you know, Mother always loved her skis with me. That's cool. That's that, cool. That was, that was very touching. You know? was Absolutely. Very now, in, in those touching ways, how, how did that, you know, in your transition, because you, you eventually got into um, more professional work with the, the trust factors. And, and of course, um, with skiing and climbing, you, you have to trust the people that you're with. And especially the the equipment that you're using, um, because your lives depend on it. Now, how did that um, transfer or, or, or transition uh, into the work that you're doing with the the trust building now? Well, the the bridge, because I, I think it's always important. Mm -hmm. uh, the bridge was actually so. Um, I, I did another four years at another ski area. I opened up the telemarketing program there. And so I would take, you know, the metal edge. Put your marketing degree to work, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so I, and so for another four years, you know, I would, I would teach telemarketing, et cetera. In fact, they call it Telemark Tuesday was, you know, and, and stuff. And we'd, we'd have that. But what I was doing through each of those was, helping people learn. I was fascinating by, fascinated by learning and how people took in information, how they absorbed, how they then translated it into action, okay? Because- Well, now let me offer this too, uh, uh, as a reflection of, of, what, of where you were at at the time, because in order to be interested in that, you have to really be peering into the depths of your own being and analyzing how you do it. And exactly. then, I mean, for me, it, it was like, okay, I, I'm this person that, you know, I've got a really deep uh, inquiry and, and curiosity and, and fearlessness in that place. Not everybody's like that. So this, uh, this process of, okay, now how does everybody else process information? And then how, how do we create communication and conversation beyond that? Yes. Right. Yeah. Yes. Well, and so for me, I was... You know, I think part of the learning process, Zen, is being curious, right? Mm -hmm. I was curious about how people learn and how do they grow and develop. And so my second master's was actually in organizational development, okay? Mm -hmm. I did that as an outgrowth. So I, I was in the ski business for uh, 12 years. And I, um, and then I actually did a stint at uh, Goddard College. We turned the school around one more time, and uh, I was the assistant director of admissions. And but, but again, it was all about the learning environment. And sure. Goddard, back particularly in the '60s and the '70s, was very experiential and very much into experiential learning. Right. And I went from there, and I got an offer to run the supervisory and leadership training program for the state of Vermont. And so for seven years, that's what I did, teaching potential supervisors going into leadership, going into, you know, managerial positions and training them on the basic supervisory skills, mm -hmm. what's needed and wanted in that. And it was from there, that's when I went back for my master's and then en route to the doctorate. Now, yeah. dealing with those people, how, uh, going back to the trust factor, right? Yes. How did you find that, uh, because the trust in any organization or, or company or corporation, it really doesn't matter what the product or service is, it's the people who get the job done and the way that they get the job done. And it was kind of like, um, I think it's Sinek and, and uh, Ferris that, that focus on the why. And, and I, I'm trying to remember the other author that wrote the book on how. 
right? Because once you get the why, then you got to figure out how. Right. So right. those two questions emerge in a lot of different answers, and especially with your dealing with, with trust, because you've got all kinds of triggers and others that you have to recognize and deal with in order to move to that next, um, you know, the empathic conversation first, and then the generative conversation that comes afterwards. Exactly. Well, you know, I, I wanted to help people understand, and because trust was also always both in the back of my mind, but also in the forefront, it became more in the forefront when I realized in my pursuit of my second master's in organizational development at both and I met by the way my current bride who actually just walked in <laughs> um, of 31 years um, we began to understand this thing because we were a general generalist when we started out and then we 31 years ago, not too many people were researching this topic called trust. Now, of course, it's very important and relevant now, and particularly in today's world, particularly when you have people working geographically dispersed and remotely, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But, you know, back in, you know, the late 80s, early 90s, not too many. And we were exploring this because what we found, if you're going to transform cultures, the Presence or absence of trust was always the key factor in the success or failure of those organizational cultures. So then we, you know, really delved into, okay, what is this thing called trust? Why is it so important? And it's, and how do you build it? And more importantly, how do you rebuild it? Okay. Right. And that's when we've actually you know, we've written our books and uh, on trust and betrayal. In fact, we've actually 20, in, and we wrote the first edition in the late, uh, actually, we, we wrote the first edition in the 90s and then the second, and we completely wrote, rewrote the second uh, edition. And people said, well, why were you, re well, we re completely wrote the third edition too. Right. Well, as you go deeper and you explore more, especially because it's a simultaneity of self and others that you're exploring and, and kind of figuring out how to create this, uh, for lack of a better, harmony, right, through trust yes. in order to, to move through things. And it's, it's an arduous journey to some, some extent because you're constantly recreating what you know be, with what you're learning oh totally right? totally and and what so we really delved into this thing to really try to understand it and um what we began to see and we actually ended up doing four more years of postdoctoral research after getting after realizing okay because there wasn't there was stuff written on the importance of it but nobody was talking about how Right. How you build, they talked about why it's important. Okay, so that was clear. And on it's becoming ever more so clearer this day and age. But they didn't talk about the how do you build it. And so that's why we actually, if I may, just um, we this is a quick reference to our framework, our model in our book. Mm -hmm. Um and we talk about why, why do we actually build trust? We build trust. If we're going to create and maintain healthy levels of trust, we need to first raise people's awareness of what, not only why it's important, but, but how it is built and broken. And what we have found, 90% of the ways it is broken are not the big things, are the minor unintentional ways that happen each and every day, but they add up, they accumulate, and they become major. Right. And also how to rebuild trust. So we focused on, in order to that, we needed to raise awareness and give people a common language and a shared understanding so they can begin to talk about trust-related issues and take action on them. And that's the, the, I think the core of the, moving through it is creating the, com the conversations to allow them to communicate. I had a, a dear friend, mentor, um, 20 some odd years, my senior that's uh, at one point was the president of the 
American Association for Alternate Dispute, Dispute Resolution. And so he had said to me at one point that, you know, there really is no conflict. It's just we misunderstand each other because we're talking from different dictionaries and we don't understand the other person's dictionaries. So the first thing in order to speed up progress, you got to slow down and learn the other person's dictionary and reflect on that so that you're at least speaking a closer language together. Now, what I also found, and I want to ask you about the level of vulnerability, because this seems to be a superpower, right? When you're getting into those levels and, and in order to feel safe and develop the trust, it includes vulnerability. Yes, absolutely. You know, I'm a two-time cancer survivor. I had renal uh, carcinoma. I had my right kidney out 12, 20 years ago, and then I had testicular cancer and same stuff that, uh, you, you Tough know. things to go through. And, and, you know, when you're facing that, it, it takes you to more, uh, even deeper okay. levels that deeper level people don't understand exist. No, because I, it didn't make sense to me. I was eating all organic. I'm talking, I'm, I'm Mr. You know, healthy, you know, right. I'm eating all organic food. I'm running, you know, three to five miles uh, a day or every other day. I'm, you know, exercising for, you know, I'm doing all the right things and I got cancer and it was so bad that in fact, they, they went in, they were going to stick up my upper lobe and they ended up cutting the whole thing out and so forth. And back then they didn't just, you know, do a little, you know, uh, they didn't have robotic, in, uh, you know, right. surgical machines, you know, they cut you from belly button to spine to jack not anyway. So the truth of the matter is, is I and talk about, man, it really came into question, you know, not only trust of self, but trust of the circumstances, trust of God, trust of the universe, et cetera, because, hey, I'm doing all the right things, and I got cancer. And right. in fact, it's kind of funny, because in my family, there was no history of it. There was absolutely no history generations back. And my, my older brother, I can remember him saying when I was lying in the hospital, I, and he says, well, you really pissed me off, Dennis, because now I have to put on my applications. Any, is there any, any cancer in your family? <laughs> yes. right. You know, you know I, I had the same thing. I, I was orphaned uh, as a baby, um, adopted around six weeks by a wonderful family. And giving my surname of Benefiel. And, uh, what better one you can get than good fidelity, right? Tough right, 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 to. right, 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 right. 2019, I eventually meet, uh, I had the opportunity to meet my birth mother. You know, 61 years of, you know, wondering having those deep questions. And of course I found out I met my birth father in the late eighties. Once I found out what his name was, kind of bizarre, um, but the questions were answered, right? Wow. So she had bouts of cancer as well. Um, I've you know, been totally healthy uh, my entire life with the exception of, of viral meningitis in the eighties, which was not happy um, or fun. Yeah. But here's now this, family history. So mom's got, you know, bouts of cancer. And, and so it gets you to wonder, so, okay, um, what are the possibilities and, and where there was no thinking to begin with based on the historical data that I had on self, right? Now there's this additional possibility. Still, I'm like you, I'd eat healthy, do the right things, exercise. Um, and, you know, I'm blessed with great health. I don't anticipate anything else because I'm a, way beyond the age where she first started having her problems. Um, but it gives you an, an, an how, a, a deeper perspective, right? So where did it take you as far as the being able to um, work with the circumstances and move beyond them into a healthier place? Well, you know, it's, um, it's, 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 after I got over the, why me? Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, woe is me kind of thing. Cause you know, I, as I said, you know, two bouts with cancer, near death accident, shingles all over my body. Uh, you know, the whole bit, I mean, right. I can go down the list, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I, I faced quite a bit, but what I had to realize was that these are God's lessons. These are the universe's lessons for me 
to learn something. What's the lesson that I needed to learn? What's the path that I needed to? And so it's been always about, okay, what's the message I need to get here? Yeah. You're kind of like Rilke, you know, he says, you, you, you're not going to get to quite the answer immediately. You've got to live with it. And as you do so, and, and you let go of the, um, the focus of, of I got to find the answer, right? Yeah. Then life just kind of rolls it out to you over time, but you have to be patient in order and, and recognize that this is just a process. No, exactly. In fact, uh, actually, we said one of Rilke's uh, uh, quotes at our, at our wedding, you know, oh. 30 years ago, for sure. Um, Maria Rilke, yes. Um, so it was really about coming to turn, okay, what do I now need to do? What do I now need to clean? You know, and we were, you know, as I said, eating well, exercise, et cetera. So it's, it's clearly, a, it's a honing process, I would have to say. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it's what works for me, not what works for the next person, right? Because it's very personal. Oh, absolutely. But I, I, and I will maybe offer that there, um, what you what works for you is person specific the process and the patterns that we go through internally i believe and from what i've seen and discussed with others are fairly consistent we speak of the same processes in in different ways you know we we all use language but we speak differently yeah <laughs> in, in oh, no exactly yeah and so for me my journey because it is and you know what's interesting it's uh, and we say this the same for trust. You know, it's a journey. Mm -hmm. Trust building is a journey. And so my journey took me through these different... I was actually very fortunate at age 25. I had the near-death accident, uh, you know, in Yosemite. And then, uh, you know, I got... Well, it gave you a place to go through. You know, I, I know you mentioned that and our audience goes, yeah, right. So, but the thing is, in that place, you go to a sense of freedom and clarity and um, a unified field, if you will, to, to bring in you know, quantum physics, that is of complete trust and safety. Exactly, exactly, because I had to trust, you know, at the core mm -hmm. and, and, and it was, um, and then, you know, each time it's another layer, each right. time. And, you know, I had a, a intuitive one time says, he looked at my, sure, you, you know, whatever yeah. intuitives do. And they go, whoa, man, you definitely signed on for a lot this life. You're clearing up a lot of past lives stuff going on. And I said, yeah, I guess I got, yeah, right. Exactly. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, you know, I can relate to that in, in that you know, during my uh, NDE, it, it wasn't traumatic. I actually had prayed for to know what truth was, which had to do with my perfected form, bit, and function in the world and how reality works. And so a week later, I was asked if I was willing to die for what I believed in. And after a few moments and, and settling on cosmic consciousness to be what I believed in, um, then I exited my body and, and went into the light and went beyond it, you know, I realized when I was in the light that I could think, so I wasn't dead. So the, the whole death thing just kind of disappeared. And then I asked if there was more, because as an impetuous teenager, I was 18, it's 1975. Right. And uh, so I, uh, I, I'm in this uh, indigo space with points of light around me. I recognize that there are points of consciousness, whether in body or not. I wasn't sure, because I knew I wasn't. And then the voice picked back up. And among other things, um, you know, told me that I was to work with these points of light in order to facilitate a new world order, that it would happen in my lifetime, that my path would be full of trials and tribulations. Right? That's the point <laughs> that I relate to you. And like, so much of an understatement. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it went on to say, everything you need will be there at its appointed time, trust and allow. Yeah. So when you get that kind of presence and information at that age, it sets up a completely different belief system, if there is, even is one at that point, yeah. to live your life by. 
And of course, you start talking about stuff like that at, at that age, you know, people think you're nuts. Now it's like, oh, that's so cool because we understand that there is this greater mind and connectivity and, and presence of, of living and dimensions and all kinds of stuff. You know, quantum physics is now uh, reflecting what sages and saints and gurus and, and spiritual teachers had said for millennia, right? So you were one of those who got the opportunity early on to begin experiencing this process in a much different way than most. And you capitalized on that in sharing your expertise in, in building the trust building scenarios. Well, well totally. And, and how we, if I may um, uh, show the audience, how we define trust is actually through these three dimensions. You know, there's trust of character. We do what we say we're going to do. And that's first and foremost. And mm -hmm. then there's trust of communication. We communicate openly and honestly with one another and trust of capability. And people often ask us, can you have one without the other? Not really and not for long. You need to be conscious and working all of them. Now, you may focus on one or two of the behaviors because there are 16 behaviors in all that contribute to these. But mm -hmm. this is um, the framework, we also, in our books on, you know, both trust and character and also on rebuilding trust, we happen to, um, you know, so here's our book on. I'll rebuilding. have those links in the, the video or in the description yeah. down below. So what, what I want to ask you, though, is, okay, these are models. They're intellectual. They're descriptive. Um, what do they feel like? So trust is a feeling, okay? And that's, right. that's the key, right? You can't, trust is not a cognitive process. Trust is about, you have a gut feeling and how do you, and, and then you have some parameters because we can actually measure an individual's, we can measure a leader's, a 360, we can measure a team's, we can measure an organization, we can even measure customer trust. We have a suite of st highly statistically valid and reliable trust measuring assessments. But what's most important is it helps, whether it be the leader or the person or the individual, to really measure and monitor how they doing in their trustworthiness. And that for me is the number one asset. A leader cannot be effective if they are not trustworthy. A leader cannot do their job if they do, if people do not trust them. Okay, so let's go back to the feeling, right? Because you're, it, it's all important. Um, and part of what you're saying, again, goes back to some, the an ancient indigenous philosophy of the three brain system, the, the gut, the heart, and the head. And, um, you know, modern medicine has proven that there's a lot of, of neurosensory capacity in the gut. Uh, quantum physics says everything's can is vibration. So the gut feeling, the intuition, all, all of these things focus around the gut. So that's where you connect with the reality around you. And then you process through the heart and then make choices with the head, right? So in that leadership scenario, how would a leader um, really get a sense and build the capacity for being able to tune into the gut and respond from that place in their leadership capacity? Well, first they have to, uh, uh, from the gut, they need to understand where, for example, is this trust coming? Are they doing the right things? Okay, that mm -hmm. might be, oh, you can check in your mind, but they know in the heart of hearts when so how would how would that show up in the gut? What would that well, sensation be? Yeah, so for so for me, I feel it more in the heart, okay, and okay. also in in the in the gut. Um, I feel you know there's a little tweak or a little twinge or a little you know when things are flowing, um, it's open and honest and and flowing, but when things are off, it's not quite right. It's not. It's like getting up. And, you know, sometimes you, you, your leg falls asleep or something like that, and it just, right. you know, you're, you're, you're not reaching a, a rhythm, a stride, 
you know, when things are flowing, when they're in rhythm, when they're... Well, uh, the, the, for me in those two places, the, you know, I, <laughs> I kind of stand in the middle of chaos and create order as well at times. I, uh, one of the things, uh, hats that I wear is a partnering facilitator for uh, pre-construction team building for major uh, building road, bridge, and, and waterway construction projects. So there's a lot of, of uh, agendas in the room, right? That you got to sift through and, and go through that process you're talking about. But when, the, when that flow is there, both in the gut and the heart for me, the, the gut's just kind of, it, it feels okay, right? There's no disturbance. The heart kind of opens a little bit because you're feeling like, yeah, the, you know, things are flowing and, and it's happening. So there's no reticence to move forward. There's no uh, holding back. Right. And then when those issues come up, there's a, a tenseness that starts in the gut. Um, and it, it arrives sometimes, and depending, you know, it can feel like a sledgehammer hitting you in the gut when there's something really wrong or, punched or, or out of harmony. Right. Yeah. And then there's the quivering that we. Uh, have two choices on, right? You know, do we go to the fear-based side and say it's anxiety and, and something impending that it's coming? Or do we go to the quickening side of, oh, here's the anticipation of something really cool. I just need to be aware and manage that energy in order to move it to a new level rather than descend into the chaos. Or work through it. Right. Well, that's essentially what happens as a result. It's like, okay, here's, here's something comes, a, a question or even a micro expression from another person can lead to that as you're observing, which I'm, I'm sure you do, right? Um, so how would you handle something like that um, just in a, a, from a process level? Because I know individually, or maybe you can have a, a, or have a specific incident that you can think of where that happened and it was clear and the, the process evolved in, in uh, a fluid way that you can describe. Well, first of all, I think it's important to go back to our framework because part of the, uh, part of trust of character is, is a whole notion around managing expectations and establishing boundaries. And sometimes when things are off, things aren't flowing. Things mm -hmm. aren't just quite clicking. Things aren't quite jiving. So kind of boundary violations at that point, right? Could be. Could be, could be boundary violations, could be whatever, crossing the bound, etc. So that's important from that standpoint. Also, trusted communication, you know, uh, sharing information, telling the truth. You know, is it the truth or is it a comfortable variation of the truth? Is, are they spinning the truth, you know? Admitting mistakes, you know, it takes a big man or woman to admit, hey, I made a mistake. Absolutely. And, and, and it garners more respect. Exactly. That's a, I had a leader say two things. He said, you know, when I admit my mistakes, it does two things. One, it shows that I'm human and that, also, I'm vulnerable. And two, because you used the word vulnerable earlier. Mm -hmm. and also, it gives my people permission to admit their mistakes. And I thought that that was classic. And it's so true. It's like, yeah, I made a mistake. Or, yeah, this is, you know, thank you so much for the correction. Or thank you so much, you know. For so often, we tend to jump into the defensive or play the victim role. Well, well we, we respond with the energy we feel we get hit with, right? That, that's the first response of a, um, how could I put it, um, a novice in this world, right? That, that hasn't had the experiential um, or developed the wisdom to understand that this is the other person, has nothing to do with me, so I'm just gonna be in my place and not let them affect me. Yeah, right. yeah. So, so, you know, and, and, and particularly, this also comes up when giving and receiving feedback. Maybe mm -hmm. they don't like what you're saying, you know, that kind of thing. And, again, well, and, and also, words are very impactful, 
it's yeah. kind of and, and style um, of words and the way they're presented that can build or uh, break relationships. Yeah, exactly. And then also, and you know, so I trusted character and trusted communication, I believe, are the most important. Trust of capability, you can teach people if they have the character and they're open and honest and transparent, mm -hmm. you can teach somebody the capabilities, the, the knowledge, the skills, the thing. Now, if you're hiring them for their capability and they don't have any of the others, you know, <laughs> I get off that train real quick. Right. Um, you know, and you know it right, you know, sure. you know, right away. But all three of those work hand in hand and at the heart, at the core is our capacity for trust. And that's our, our self-trust, basically our willingness and readiness to trust ourselves influences and impacts our willingness and our readiness to trust others. And that ebbs and flows. In fact, that's actually the topic of our next book that we're in the process of writing right now. And, um, and I would love to actually turn the tide and interview you for that next book. In fact, I'm listen. certainly open to it, Dennis. Um, so the, the practical side of it though, can you give us an example of how you experienced it in, um, in the process? Because you can't really talk about another's process, right? It, unless you're truly an empath, but it, when, and you may be. In that position, though, what is what did you go through personally that gave you a really clear um, presence or, or reflection that yeah, this works really well? Well, you know, I've seen it um, applied. Well, first and foremost, I we use ourselves as you know for ex experiencing and experimenting yeah. right? and if it works you know whether it be in a personal relationship or a dual relationship um and let me tell you i get a chance to practice this each and every day i'm married to my co-author here you know <laughs> oh yeah I, that kind of relationship is it's not only imperative but it's a real blessing to yeah. have Yes, it is. And then, and, and Michelle is definitely my best friend for sure. And I'm very blessed. Um, I'm very blessed to uh, be in a relationship with her and, and have for 30 years. And in fact, I just turned 71 last week. So, oh, um, you know, happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you for sure. And, uh, you know, I'm planning on sticking around hopefully until 100 anyway. But, well, at least. Yeah, exactly. Although the week before we were in Jamaica, and let me tell you, I, I've i been stung by jellyfish many, many, many times because I'm an ocean swimmer, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I bought it for 27 years. And then when my, um, they took my right kidney out and, you know, and, and, and left testicle, Michelle got me into swimming and, and I love it. And, you know, we so we swim every day. Well, I'm on my morning swim one morning. Michelle wasn't with me at the time. And I encountered the school of 10 to 12 inch in size, a swarm of jellyfish. And I somehow came in contact with them. I tried to avoid it, but anyway, I got stung and I was at the hospital it was so intense, so painful. I still got scars across both feet and up my right leg. It was so intense that the doctor said that if I wasn't fit, I would have had a cardiac arrest. Mm. And I mean, of course, the, the healthcare in Jamaica, you don't want to ever go. This is not an advertisement for healthcare in Jamaica, believe me. <laughs> um, it's sick place, hospitals, you know, what anyway, this was definitely, and I had to get out. I was there for 14 hours and they wanted to keep me over a couple of days. And I, I just, I needed to get out of there, start my healing process right. on my own and do all the 
the right things, the turmeric, the retard the swelling and the inflammation and the infect, best possible infection, you know, bring it down in any way. And I wasn't able to fly. I was supposed to fly out the next morning. I didn't fly out until five days later because I couldn't because mm -hmm. of the uh, aforementioned uh, symptoms. And uh, it was yet another horrific experience to get you to center yourself again, right? Exactly, exactly. I'm going, all right, give it to me vicariously next time, you know, <laughs> enough of these first damn lessons, you know. But, uh, you know, again, what's the lesson? What's the learning? What do I need to learn, you know? And don't swim with jellyfish. That, well, that's <laughs> the superficial lesson right there for sure. Man, that was. I, I've never seen, first of all, they, they were literally 12 inches apart. Well, those are huge. Yeah, I've, I've been in small yeah. ones. I've been stung by small ones. But, man, in something that large, yeah, you're lucky. That tentacles are over three feet long, you know, that kind of thing. And that's what wrapped around my leg and you know, that kind of a thing. So it was uh, not a fun thing. But, you know, um, there's always lessons. I, I ha I'm still working on trying to decipher what the lesson was from, from that one for sure. Other than this, you know, the surface one. Look ahead. And <laughs> um, so, you know, looking ahead, let's just take that for a moment as, for, as cursory as it is, right? Because um, there, there's a lot of, of elegance and wisdom and simplicity yes. and, and in cursory views. Um, so as, as you're looking forward, how do you see this work that you've been doing and its effects impacting um, the environments that, that you're in? I, I know, you know you've had work with Amex and Ben and & Jerry's and Harvard University, Johnson Johnson, you know, a lot of these um, larger corporations, which seem to be some of the, of the challenges that we face today in, in their mismanagement of personnel and politics and, and all that kind of stuff. So how do you see that changing within um, those realms and, and the effect of trust building? Well, you know, uh, first and foremost, I think trust building is absolutely critical now more than ever. And I know I said that 31 years ago, but it is so true. Um, I think- I think it's an ageless bit of wisdom. It's right. universal, it's ageless, and, you know, it goes back to eons in time, etc. I mean, while we've been the, you know, at the forefront of the, as of late research, as in over the last three decades, obviously the need and the importance of what it is has been around for eons. And, but I think now, because leaders need to first trust in and of themselves. They need to have and exude the confidence and, the, and feel comfortable with uncertainty and ambiguous situations because that's what's happening. I mean, all this is new ground. You know, as we begin to come out of the pandemic, um, we need to begin to trust people more than ever. And yet, they, but it's not blind trust or stupidity here. We're talking about appropriate trust, all right? You know, trusting people's character, trusting people's communication, trusting people's capability, and what is wanted and needed to help them in their character, communication, and capability to expand that capacity for trust. And that capacity for trust is first and foremost, trusting ourselves, which expands our ability to trust in others. And so this is absolutely critical at this day and age. And just while the framework and the model, and that's one of the things that people have said, you know, your framework, uh, Dr. Rainey, is very simple, but it is also, it's profound in its simplicity because of the depth that it takes and the, not only the depth of, uh, uh, of awareness, but hey, it's, it's not easy living this work each and every day but it's needed and necessary now more than ever. You know, I, I, true, it isn't easy. However, when you practice it, the efforts become less and less um, 
tense or, or it just gets easier it becomes not only second nature it becomes first nature because that's the integrity that you carry in every moment um, and it's almost impossible to violate that at a certain point when you've committed to living this way now how do you see this um you know the care and compassion and trustworthiness and the building of trust coming out of covid well i think I think leaders and in particularly the people that work for them and stuff need to have a certain level of compassion for one another, that people, different people in different walks of life are carrying different, if you will, whether it be different crosses or different challenges or different circumstances. And I think that COVID did a number of things. One, it showed that we could work remotely and be very productive. Right. Um, but also number two is that we need to also be very understanding and caring and compassion of one another because we are dealing with all kinds of different challenges in all walks of life. And, you know, put yourself in the other person's shoes, if you will, you know, what are they dealing with? What are circumstances? And not as an excuse, not as a, to let them off the hook, so to speak, but more importantly, with care and understanding for what they're going through. Right. So, now, the going through, um, the, the question comes up is, um, what is the trust level in the narrative? What is the trust level in? Yeah, is there a trust? Okay, so what I'm re reflecting is that you've got this massive narrative, global narrative that has basically overtaken people's lives. And most people want to believe, they want to trust in those who are leading and guiding them and things like this. Um, do you feel that, that that's a, a trustworthy place um, at this point or that, uh, or there's a, a a deeper level of trust that has to be rebuilt within humanity itself with each other, not necessarily the leadership that's um, assumed control. Yeah. So I think that... Well, Does that all, make sense? Yeah, yeah, to a degree. Okay. See if I understand. Okay. I the first level of trust is more on the superficial level. And I, I think we do definitely need to go deeper. I think we definitely need to have each other's well-being at heart and in and mind and in and heart and, and, and in our gut. Because um, we're all in this together, man. Mm -hmm. We are all in this together. No matter no matter the beliefs we have or or the decisions we've made as to whether to you know be one way or another, mask, non-mask, vax, non-vax, we still have to live together and learn how to work and play and, and have relationships that that exude or i want to say exude but that emulate that trust yes and and are we capable i think we're definitely capable are we willing i think is the real question are we willing to go to this are we willing to do the work that it needs to that will it will take to go the distance to to extend the care and compassion to cut each other some slack, to give each other the benefit of the doubt, to, you know, just be, hey, we're all humans, you know, and we're on the spaceship, you know, and we're kind of trying to work it out. Um, yeah. Well, and there's people like you and others who have done the work for decades that are seem to be here and, and present and prepared to help in this transition. And I, I really do appreciate your time today, Dennis, and, and the exploration that we had, the wisdom that you shared and, and your life experiences that I'm sure others can relate to and maybe look at themselves in different ways that help them to grow as well. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, my experiences, you know, as part of my trust building journey, okay, and and, and the challenges, but that, that's all part of my own trust building journey, but we all have challenges. We all have- They're shared journeys and, and we're all here together. 
Exactly. And I so much appreciate this time with you, Zen, and uh, hopefully our conversation may shed some light or even uh, some understanding, if not some wisdom on uh, sure. uh, to others. And, so and I'll have your materials listed in the description below. So uh, again, Dennis, thank you so much. And namaste and in la catch. Thanks for watching One World in a New World. I'm your host, Zen Benefield, and I'll see you next time.